You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Well, this is like my lucky day. I'm, I'm looking at the boxes I get to check in terms of similarities with my wonderful guests. Policymaking interests, check. Serving others, check. Wives that are a lot smarter, better looking, more fun than we are, check. Great children, check. Likes competition, check. Loves running, check. Staying fit, have somewhat of a, I guess, brand for our socks and shoes. And then I got thrown a Dairy Queen. You check all those off, you've got yourself a guest that almost looks like you, thinks like you, and you just love them. Josh Askvig, State Director of AARP in North Dakota, and my good friend. It's great to see you. How are you? Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. Well, first of all, Mike, thanks for having me. I, I might just add, the only thing I would tell you is the only reason you can check the Dairy Queen box has nothing to do with me. I think you're aware I don't actually like ice cream, but the rest of my family does. And they love you because if I get asked to go to Dairy Queen, my answer is I was like, eh, I don't know. But they know if you're there, uh, they get to go for sure. So uh, thanks well, for having me. Like it's good to be here. A kale whip or something instead of, you know. <laughs> You know, a, a Buster Bar or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I, that that's accurate. You actually, you're not a Dairy Queen guy, uh, but your your family is, and I just love it. How are you? I'm good, Mike. You know, it's uh, as we were talking before you hit record here. Uh, you know, normally this is probably my first, yeah, probably my second favorite part of the year. In terms of, um, I know you run outside every day. Uh, I run outside. Uh, when I run, I run outside most days um, as part of it. And I usually love this time of the year because the, the weather's starting to change and starting to feel like, you know, I don't have to wear all of this gear and all of this clothing. Uh, that's not the case this year. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but I still haven't taken my face mask off for running outside yet uh, as part of it. But uh, no, I'm good and uh, can't complain because uh, even if I do, I I, I I don't think anybody cares. So uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm, unfortunately for me, people would prefer I wear it all year long, the face mask. That's not the case with you. Hey, by the way, do you do you ever put a, a small layer? A Vaseline or something on parts of your face that are exposed, like I do. So I had a physical therapy appointment this morning um, to get a few kinks and tweaks um, worked on as part of it, and was talking to my physical therapist. And I, because he and he and I were talking about running outside at this point in time and whatnot. I said, yeah, I said, yeah, I have you know baklava that you know goes over my head, and then I can pull up the face mask and pull it down. I said I normally don't actually pull it up over my face because it freezes then it gets so cold and it just freezes. And then it's like an ice cube on your face. I said, instead, I just take some petroleum jelly and kind of rub it on my face and uh, do that. So yeah, I, uh, I think that's an old runner's trick that we all learn somewhere along the way living in, in a Northern climate. Um, it's fun to explain that to your running friends in Florida. They're like, wait, you put, you put grease on your face before you go run. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. part of it. So, 
Yeah, yeah if it's, it's 30 below wind chill, you've got to do something. Correct. And then the conversation goes a whole different direction, of course. But yeah, absolutely. They don't they don't get us, do they? And they just don't <laughs> understand. No, that that that's uh explaining to folks that we train outdoors year round, uh, especially if they're not from a northern climate, they just yeah. kind of look at you with a dumbfounded look, but that's all right. Well, we could talk for a long time about so many things, but I do want to start out with what what you're doing and your passion, and you're such a great leader, and uh, you have a wonderful team at AARP of North Dakota. Josh, I didn't realize that you know there's almost there's over eighty thousand members of AARP in North Dakota. That's that's a big number. I had no clue. Um, I knew that you know in in the the country itself there's 30 some million but i had no idea the presence was so prolific that that said you know tell us a little bit about the importance of aarp and i'm at that age right you know i'm uh, uh well i'm well past the 50 you know serving people 58 50 years of age and older i'm well past that but you know give us a little uh you know elevator pitch on the importance of AERP and how you specifically was you were drawn to that organization. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, Mike. And and first of all, I, I love where I work. And uh, I, I'm uh, one of those folks who gets an opportunity to come to work every day and, and, and truly enjoys it. I have, a, as you mentioned, a great team here. We're a small, tight-knit, five-person team that covers the entire state of North Dakota. And AARP, for those of your listeners and watchers who don't know, we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan, membership-based organization. We have a presence in all 50 states, plus the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. And a lot of people see AARP as the member benefit products we endorse or the AARP Foundation that does some good work on hunger, uh, as well as uh, social isolation and, and um, older adult services programs. And those are great parts of the organization. We work in a, a part of the organization that we were the social mission part of the organization. And so our job is the state office. We don't sell products. We don't service those products. We don't don't um, we can certainly help you find the folks who do those things. As part of it. But our job is really threefold. We do advocacy for people 50 and older. So it's about what are the public policies and what are the public policies that should be in place that are going to allow folks as they age and people of all ages to thrive and be a valued member of the community and help those folks be able to make the decisions that are going to be best for them and their family. The second part is um, community education and community outreach is a huge part of what we do. Uh, there are a, a lot of complex issues that um, older adults in particularly deal with. I mean, I sat through an hour long presentation on Medicare yesterday. It's the fifth time I've heard it and I still learn something new. Um, as part of it. And that's just one facet of it. But we do community education largely around retirement readiness, around helping people stay active and be healthy um, as they age, and then also around fraud and scam awareness uh, and those types of activities. And then the last piece of it is we promote community volunteerism. How do we help folks engage with us, through us, or with other entities that is going to strengthen and build a stronger community where they live? We know that's um, a rewarding experience for those folks who do that. So um, I came to AARP, my predecessor, uh, Janice Cheney, um, love, love that woman and so grateful for her. I got to know her in my previous job 
uh, through some coalition work around retirement issues, right? We were working together on um, some pension and taxation issues um, that I was doing for my former employer. And uh, she happened to mention one day she had a job opening at that point in time and asked me if I knew anyone who was interested. And uh, I don't think she knew it at the time, but the person I was thinking of was me. Uh, and to and just to kind of speed it along, uh, I ended up having to apply for to, to work for AARP twice. Uh, the first time she hired someone else and they didn't work out. And uh, she called me back and said, I can't promise you anything, but I really think you should apply again. Uh, and I applied again and got hired. And then when she retired a number of years ago, uh, due to health circumstances, uh, I was lucky enough to be selected as the state director for AARP and only the second state director in the history of the AARP North Dakota State Office. And so uh, having done this job for a little over five, going on six six plus years now, uh, I still have giant shoes to fill. She left She left a really, really strong legacy about what, what we do in North Dakota to try and make life better for specifically, as you mentioned, our lens is people 50 and older, but we truly believe the work we do, if it's better for people 50 and older, it's generally better for everybody. Yeah. Before I get to my next question, and I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Josh, I, I always thought you would probably put your hat in the ring when Connie left League of Cities, because I, I said to myself, this is a young guy that just really gets it. It's really connected, great at building relationships, really good at policy making, you know, loves this city politics thing. And I and I thought and you would have been perfect for that role, right? But I'm glad you are where you're at, by the way, and because of my next question. As I was doing a little reading about AARP recently. It, it dawned in me this connecting people to others in their community through your through your volunteer network, by the way, how important that is in a state like North Dakota. Well, every state, but North Dakota, I can speak more personally about. What do we have? 52 counties, whatever it is. Only really seven, eight, nine, ten of them are growing. In terms of population, that means the others uh, are not. And that's never a good sign for anything. If you're not growing, it usually means something else. Well, with so many people moving towards those bigger communities, the importance of and, and, and what's available in your community, sometimes it's your faith community, your church, whatever, and and then some of your personal relationships. So it dawned on me the importance of this volunteer network AARP has across the state. The, the state is some ways a lifeline for building relationships and staying connected to people. Were it not for AARP, is that, is that a pretty good description of how some of your networking and volunteering activities work? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're we're not dissimilar from most organizations in North Dakota where most of our volunteers would would reside in communities that you would suspect, right? The larger communities. But we do have volunteers across the state of North Dakota um, that connect with us and that, that we interact with. And I think you're right. I think the one thing we know from folks who volunteer or from the volunteering um, I've done myself, uh, speaking from personal experience, I've never, never um, volunteered and walked away from a volunteer experience and thought, what an awful thing I just had to do. I've mm -hmm. always walked away from it going, man, 
that was some that was some cool stuff and some cool value I got to add to that organization of that day uh, as part of it. It's why you know you, you started off talking about one of our similar passions of um, you know running. It's why I got involved with the Bismarck Marathon Board. Right, I had a I, I participated in the race for many years and then had the opportunity to go try and help go help out with the race and just saw it from a different angle of view and. And sometimes when you're participating in those things, you don't realize everything that goes into putting on those activities or those things. And I use that as an example to say, um, if you talk to folks who have volunteered with us or who we've connected to other volunteer opportunities, they always come back to us and say, man, that was such a great experience. Thanks. Thanks for for what we do. And I turn around and say, no, thank you, because we literally I mean, you heard me say there are five of us on our team. Um, we have to cover the entire state of North Dakota. And I won't tell you we're perfect and we we don't get everywhere we'd like to, but we extend our reach so much farther when we have those volunteers who are willing to be ambassadors for the work that we're doing, um, you know, trying to help people be ready for retirement, help them protect themselves from scrap frauds or scams or, you know, help stay active and move and live a healthier life. Yeah. Josh, I gotta think that your your work while very rewarding, doesn't get easier. And at times it has to be incredibly kind of gut-wrenching almost. So you have, first of all, this winter, winters in North Dakota, when they're long, they're hard on everybody. But the more mature you become, they're a little harder for you. And then add to that the, the ability for scam artists because of technology to target almost everyone yeah. is a nightmare. It's an absolute n- nightmare. And and then with, you know, inflation and the value of your dollar compared to a few years ago today and the diminished return, if you will, you, you must have a lot of input from your members about those three things and how you can help. I'm assuming this is a year where you're hearing a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I was just having this conversation with um, someone um, from the state of North Dakota. We were having a conversation the other day and they, they asked me, you know, what's the impact of inflation on, on older adults right now in North Dakota? And I said, you know, I don't have any hard statistics to back it up, but here's what I can tell you as an example um, you know, I'm seeing case counts for um, service, long-term care service needs, uh, state assistance for long-term care service needs go up. Um, we gave a presentation that had nothing to do with supplemental nutrition assistance um, or SNAP or formerly known as food stamps. The presentation we gave had nothing to do with that. It was all about Social Security and how folks can um, you know, make the best decision for them and their family about when, when and how and what to do with their social security benefits that they've paid into for their lifelong part of it. And there were two questions about SNAP benefits in that presentation, unprompted. We didn't mention anything about it, which told me, um, there's clearly a need out there. And then we continue to hear from folks that are struggling to make ends meet between, uh, the cost of prescription drugs, um, food, um, housing, um, you know, it's a strain on everybody, but particularly on older adults, especially if they're on any sort of fixed income. 
um, uh, as part of it, it that I think you're seeing a, a increased pressure on them. And so, yeah, it's something we we talk about a lot and we try and help folks uh, understand what the opportunities are and, and how they can find um, relief or assistance for themselves. And it's part of the reason right now we're in the middle of a North Dakota legislative session. And part of the reason we're fighting on the the issue areas we're fighting on is these are the issues that are having a real impact on older North Dakotans right now. My last question, Josh, about um, your role, AARP, and the, I'm going to say, the political climate of the day. It, it just seems that over the course of probably the last 10 years, maybe it's longer, and history does repeat itself. It's not like this is the first time. Our country has had a significant difference of opinion in terms of the two major parties. And it really does make any difference if you're in D.C. or somewhere else, right? In terms of your job and and your team and representing the, that, those 80,000-plus members, and it's really people beyond that, too. It's about the future. Um, I, are you finding that you have folks that are really willing to listen, to hear and listen, and then find a way to take some action on the importance of what you're you're advocating for. Is that still present? Yeah, I think there's three things, Mike, that I was was talking about. And um, you're a student of politics. I'm I'm literally a student of politics. My master's degree is in campaigns and elections uh, and, and how to do this. And and a couple of things uh, to note, um, AARP, when I when I gave my elevator speech about AARP, uh, we're, in, we're a nonpartisan organization. We don't endorse candidates. We don't give money to candidates. We don't um, um, pick sides. We do help folks understand the issues that are important to older North Dakotans. We do help folks understand um, how they can cast their ballot when it's time to vote in elections uh, as part of it. And there's power in the fact that we don't we don't pick sides and pick, you know, Republicans over Democrats or Democrats over Republicans or independents over um, any of them. We really look at what is the best public policy for North Dakotans and Americans 50 and older. And then that's what we work towards in in trying to do it. And so when we talk to folks, um, there's not a, yeah, but you contributed to this over here or that that's, that's not from, we don't have a political action committee, um, at least not in the sense of, what most folks think of political action committees and what most folks know about political action committees um, uh, do that. Additionally, um, older Americans in older North Dakotans vote. Uh, they vote. That that is a that is a, a a true statement in terms of I think the last North Dakota election last fall I believe voters 15 older made up over 50 percent of the electorate that casted ballots. You know, from your prior experience and having served together, Mike, I know, um, you know, we we talk to people who vote, right? If you're in one of those positions where you're serving, um, you know, money is a concern, sure, in politics, uh, whatnot. But at the end of the day, you got to get more votes than the other person to to serve in that position uh, if it's something. And so we know folks vote. And so we make sure they understand here's the issues of importance and in, in, you know, what we're encouraging folks to ask you about as a candidate uh, there. And then once they're elected, um, you know, remind them, this is what voters said they wanted you to work on and in the issues you're working on. And, 
And then, uh, you know, we are fiercely protective of our brand and being nonpartisan. You know, we've we've been known to send letters to candidates who try and imply endorsement, you know, or try and get us to stand on a stage uh, that appears uh, partisan in nature. And so it's not that we don't do politics. We do, but we don't do partisan politics. And that's a really, really important part of the work we do in part of part of why I enjoy working for this organization. You know, I came from an organization that um, was nonpartisan in that sense, too, but they had a political action committee. Everyone knew who we donated to and who we didn't donate to. Everyone understood, you know, where we had a leaning. And, and you know, we're truly an organization that's worked on both sides of the aisle. You know, we worked with uh, W. Bush on the Medicare Part D. We worked with, uh, uh, you know, Democratic presidents on various items and issues as well. And so it's it really is for us about what's the best policy for older North Dakotans and older Americans. And to, to get back to to your question, Mike, I think that's a huge help. People know when we walk in the door, we're not we're not coming at it from a partisan angle and not trying to figure out how we can score political points uh, in terms of making someone look good or look bad. We're coming at it from an angle of this is what older North Dakotans and older adults um, will find value in and why they will find value in it and why we're asking you to make the decision that we're asking you to make. Did you say your background in Georgetown was campaigns and elections? Well, first of all, um, I, I went to one of those schools that is the the school. You know, there's these schools. So I went to the George Washington University. I was I, I have attended Georgetown for some training and classes, uh, both beautiful campuses. But I'm an alum of the the George Washington um, University's Graduate School of Political Management. And so my graduate degree is um, in how do you run campaigns and elections? And uh, fun story, Mike, this is an aside that I don't think, I don't even know if you know this, but, um, and I had forgotten about it until I came to work here uh, about 12 years ago. But I was in graduate school in DC and one of our classes was campaign communications. And um, we got split up into six different teams. There were three issue areas. And for each issue area, there was a, a, a proponent and an opponent on the side of an issue. And the issue area I was assigned to work on was um, privatization of Social Security. And so there was one team that was the proponent of privatization of Social Security. And then there was a second team and they were, I think it was the Cato Institute was the group that they were supposedly modeling after uh, as part of it. doesn't matter. And then um, there was the opponents of the privatization of Social Security. And so me and four of my classmates classmates were the AARP perspective on the privatization of Social Security when that was a hot topic back in the early 2000s as part of it. And so I was on a team that for a semester long was writing different, you know, one week it was, you know, what's the press plan that you would work on the next week? What's the grassroots support that you would work on next week? What's the testimony you'd provide in Congress? You know, these different things. And so we were part of this team. And I'd forgotten about that till I came to interview for AARP and remembered, actually, actually, I've done some of this before <laughs> uh, in this perspective. And so um, it, it's just a fun connection about how life and, and how 
sometimes life drops you hints about or breadcrumbs about future future opportunities or experiences is part of it. And so, uh, you know, I get asked a lot, how does someone uh, like you end up working at ARP? And, and I, I always tell people three things. One, it's about the people and the relationships. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Janice Cheney and getting to know Janice and whatnot. And she, she, uh, she was a, a longtime mentor to me uh, and, and um, later became kind of my, uh, de facto Bismarck mom, uh, while she was still alive. Um, she literally saved my family and my kids uh, when Crystal unexpectedly went into labor three weeks early with our last kid, um, you know, and and uh, called her to say, Janice, I'm not going to be in tomorrow. Crystal just went into labor uh, working. And her first question for me was, what are you doing with your kids? And I said, ah, once I'm off with you, I'm going to figure that out. And she said, I'll be there in five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then once we got things settled, uh, I called her to say, I'll be home in a little bit. And she said, no, you're going to stay right where you're at. Just tell me how I get them to daycare tomorrow. And so that's the type of person she was. And I've tried to model that um, as uh, trying to fill her shoes as part of it. So it's the people. The second is, look, everybody's aging, you know, and, and you only get old if you're lucky. That's something that people don't think about. And people often, you know, want what's new or sexy or you know, whatnot, but um, there's a lot of value in aging and the fact that not everyone gets to do it. I can think of a handful of folks I know growing up or otherwise that didn't get the experience of aging and growing up and growing old. And so it's something you shouldn't ever take for granted and it should have opportunity and that, you know, there's wisdom and opportunity in aging. It's really about um, what do you do and and how do you do it? And then I, I just, I work for an organization that we truly we walk the talk, you know, I've worked for places that say something, but then when it comes to brass tacks, doesn't necessarily follow exactly uh, what, what we said would be best. And, you know, down to, down to minor things, but, you know, our organization provides 48 hours a year to provide caregiving um, leave. So not just sick leave, not vacation leave, but if you have a family member, old or young, that you know has some high caregiving needs, and we know there's 62,000 of them that are providing care for unpaid care for a loved one or older adult. Um, we have up to 48 hours a year, so that if I need to help care for grandma, get her to some appointments or whatnot, if I need to help, um, you know, someday my parents um, or my in-laws or whatnot, um, you know, our organization doesn't just say everyone should have access to that. They make sure we have access to that, and that's one example of why I love working here. Uh, it to me is is um, is a joy, and it's a place where I know when we say something, we're going to follow through on it to the to every extent we can. By the way, I'll echo Janice was really special. I was on the school pack, you know, yep. advisory team with yep. her. She was really really special. It's clear that not every exorcism works because I I got to think that when you chose that as your educational path, there must have been. In the Askwick family, uh, a bunch of prayer groups going, no, he can't go down that road. But it turns out it worked out really well for you and your family. So but there you Mike, go. Mike, I know you don't want to go on forever, but I have to tell the story because you, you brought it up. I mean, I originally <laughs> went to college to be an elementary ed teacher. I, I, that was that was where I thought I thought I'd end up coaching and uh, teaching, teaching grade school and, and coaching. And um through different fortuitous actions, um, 
I had an experience in college early enough that made me realize that probably wasn't going to be the best career choice for me. Just my personality, you know, the the things I enjoy. I love kids. I love working with kids. But being a teacher, um, the teachers are a very special breed of person and they do awesome work. And I value, I, I have tremendous respect uh, for those folks who do it. I come from a family of teachers. Um, and so, you know, my brother's a teacher, my sister-in-law's a teacher, my uncle's taught, my dad taught, you know, uh, as part of it. And um, I got to a point in college where I just said, this, this is not, I, I don't know that I want to spend two plus more years of education doing this when I, at the end of it, I'm not so sure that's going to be a wise career decision for me and my personality and nothing to do with uh, conversation just was I going to be able to do the job in a manner that I, I thought should do uh, sport and so I switched my major to political science and I'll never forget calling my father um, who's a longtime college professor uh, whatnot and saying dad um, just want you to know I filed my paperwork today um, I'm a, I'm no longer an elementary ed major and he goes oh you finally realized you need to be a a high school teacher. And I said, no, <laughs> uh, I'm not actually going to do education anymore uh, as part of it. And he said, really? He said, what are you going to do? I said, I, I switched my major to political science and then um, uh, with a, a minor in psychology. And he said, what the hell are you going to do with that degree, Jeff? And I, I, I said, to, to my dad to this day, and I don't, I don't even know if he remembers this conversation. We haven't talked about it in a long time, but I'll have to ask him about it. But I remember saying to dad, you know, dad, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I believe in myself to know that I'll figure it out. You know, like I'm not too worried about landing on my feet. Um, you know, you and mom instilled in me uh, good, good hard work and ethic and, uh, you know, uh, valuing building relationships and that not. And, and I remember him saying, well, son, you're at that point in your life where doesn't doesn't really matter what I think, but I just wonder if this is the best decision for you. And said, well, thanks, dad, you know, and hung up. And there's nothing like, you know, this being a father, I'm a father now, the most powerful, powerful thing you can do is probably not tell them you're upset with them. It's to tell them you're disappointed. And it was that hang up. And I, I do, I do know he remembers it because when I graduated from grad school and had a career uh, set up after grad school, he looks at me and he goes, yeah, you did kind of figure this out, didn't you? And I said, well, you know, dad, I, I, I tend to tend to, you know, I have a, I have a personality that will, will try and try and land on my feet. And if I don't, I know I have a great support system that'll help me, help me get back up on my feet. And so uh, it's just a fun, when you said that, I, it's a fun story that uh, <laughs> I always, I always like to tell about dad. So, so you're going to be a second? No. Well, what the hell are you going to do with that degree? Uh, uh, I think it worked out for me so far. So. Oh, Josh, we got to know each other when you made the decision to put your name on a ballot and run for local policymaking position, city commissioner of Bismarck. You did that for eight years and you were a brilliant city commissioner, did just a wonderful job. One of the reasons I asked you to be the vice chair, vice president. What what prompted you to at that point in your life say, I, I need to do this? So I want to preface this story because it's a little bit of a story with with this caveat. I did not work for AARP when that decision was made. And I tell you that because when you hear the story, I think you'll go, wait, 
doesn't he do advocacy for people 50 and older? Uh, and isn't that about? And so, um, as, a, as you know, Mike, I'm a student of uh, politics going way back to when I was in high school. I attended North Dakota Boys State, probably the best experience I ever had in terms of getting an understanding of how does our uh, republic and our democracy work in the United States and in North Dakota and, and policymaking at, at all, all levels. It's a great hands-on experience. If any of your listeners have a North Dakota high school junior that's going to be going into their senior year, strongly recommend either North Dakota Boys State or North Dakota Girls State for girls. Uh, great programs uh, really set me up for success uh, beyond and, and sparked my interest in policymaking. It's part of it. But uh, I had moved to Bismarck, uh, had landed in Fargo after um, completing graduate school, uh, worked on a couple of campaigns for a while, and then um, started my career um, with an with a organization here in Bismarck. And uh, been here a couple of years, and um, Crystal and I were just starting to have a family and um, went out one day. And it's funny that you brought up Connie Sprinsonatic's name because she made an announcement at that point in time that she was not going to run for re-election to the Bismarck City Commission. And anybody who's from uh, the Bismarck area and beyond Bismarck, but specifically in Bismarck, knows Connie Sprinsonatic, longtime public servant, served uh, many terms on the City Commission prior to that on the Park Board. So she announced she wasn't running, and then another commissioner announced um, he was going to run for mayor, therefore vacating his commission seat um, at that point in time. And if you know anything about politics and elections, the easiest election to win is where there's no incumbent. Incumbency is a powerful thing, even at a local city school board level. It's just the, the, the people know your name. You know, they they may associate you good or bad, but people know who you are as part of it. And so there were two vacant seats. And so I uh, was having uh, drinks with some friends one night and said, hey, there are these two vacancies. And if you look at all of the boards at that time, there was nobody at that point in time in Bismarck who was a young professional whose kids were on the younger end of the spectrum. Um, looking at that, and I said to this group of about five or six, like, who's going to run? one of us needs to run and given our networks and who we know and how we do this, like, you know, there's a shot, like nobody's guaranteed, but there's a shot. And they all looked at me and said, why would anyone want to run for a local city election? Like you have no influence, you have no ability to really affect people's lives. And I said, uh, are you sure you know what city government does? And they said, Josh, if you think it's so important, you run. And I said, well, I'll go talk to Crystal but Crystal was pregnant. We were about to have our first child. I thought there's no way this this um, this was going to happen. And so I went home that night and said to Crystal, hey, um, you know, we were talking and there's going to be these two open seats. And, and uh, you know, I think I might want to run and, and bless God bless Crystal. That's why I love her. And she's my greatest support system. She goes, I was wondering what took you so long. To act as part of it, and so it's from that experience that that you know I ran and uh, uh, you know talked to thousands of people. I think you and I met before I even announced that I was running, uh, Mike, uh, as part of it, and, and got a chance to understand what we were seeing and feeling in the community at that time, and and was lucky enough to get uh, elected and then reelected four years later, and, and serve eight years and two terms on the city commission, and uh, it's one of the best experiences that I've had. I mean. But the the epilogue to the story I told you about running is 
about six months after I was elected. And if you remember, we had a lot of big issues happen, Mike, in my first term between, and it might've been a year uh, after because we had um, the smoking ordinance, we had the texting while driving ordinance, we had the flood all within 18 months of my first election, uh, which any one of those would have been a big significant change, but the three of them, um, you know, one certainly reshaped our community, you know, the flood in 2011. Uh, the other two um, certainly at the time were hot button issues, no matter what side of it you fell on, but were big issues and community impactful issues as part of it. And so we were having drinks again one night. And one of my one of my really good friends looked at me and goes. In in a year's time, you've had more impact on my life through the policymaking than Congress probably has my entire life and the state of North Dakota has done in the last five years. And I said, that's the power of uh, local. And I don't mean power in terms of like, oh, look at what we can do. But just if you want to create change and, and do it in the system we live and where we live in, in the United States, the best country of the world, uh, in North Dakota, the best state in the country, in my opinion, um, you really, really to do it uh, quickly and effectively and to have the most impact, it happens at the local level. You know, Tip O'Neill's uh, comment that all politics is local is true, um, is part of it. And, and the beauty of North Dakota's local elections is they are nonpartisan. I mean, there's a theme in all of this, right? And and I, you know, Mike, you and I, you and I probably have a little bit different lens personally of how we see the world through the world. And when you and I served on the commission together, I always told people, if you look at the city commission at the time, there are five distinct perspectives. I mean, we had five very distinct perspectives, um, certainly in years um, four, five, six, um, when I was on the commission and you you um, then became mayor as part of it. And, and yet we all were looking at it from the common ground of what's gonna be best for the city of Bismarck at that point in time. And I told people, I said, go look at our votes. 98, 99% of them are five to zero votes. And when we start discussing it, it wasn't going to be five to zero, but we understood each of us came at this from a different angle that we needed to try and figure out how can we make this the best policy that is going to help the largest number of individuals in Bismarck or all of Bismarck as part of it. And I tell that story just to say, because you asked about it and you can tell public service is a passion of mine. Uh, uh, I'm happily retired from public service at this point in time right now, but but I but I believe in it and and think someday uh, I'll do it. But but I just loved the aspect of you know what's the problem we're trying to solve? Why are we trying to solve that problem? And how do we make it best for the entire community, not just one segment or one group or one piece uh, of the community of it? And so. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the time that we served together. I uh, look back at it as a, a wonderful experience in so many ways. And, and the other thing I'm going to bring up, I also witnessed the physical transformation of Josh Asfay. Because it was about, it was about <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. That yeah. Started running. Yeah. Or as our friend would say, running. <laughs> and you haven't stopped. I mean, you're literally passionate about physical fitness, your health. You're an endurance athlete. You've participated in Ironman, 
triathlons, marathons. You really love running. Uh, I, I know that you wrestled previous, so you know, a number of years yep. prior to that. Yep. What, what was the genesis for I'm going to start running? Yeah, I, I think the important thing to, to make sure folks know, Mike, is and I want to I want to I want to look in the camera and tell folks that are watching or listening to this. Um, I have not always been this size and I have not always been this fit and it didn't happen overnight. And I start from that point of view to say, I have more people than you know, and I'm sure you're in a similar situation that say, I could never do that, or I'd never want to do that. And at one point in time in my life, I weighed 215 pounds. Um, today, I'm not 215 pounds. I'm about 150 pounds, uh, depending upon where I'm at. My training cycle may may fluctuate five to seven pounds, uh, you know, just based on, on where I'm at and what's going on. And and, and I don't share that to brag. I share that to say um, it was a long, slow, step-by-step journey. And it really came from a place of, um, you know, out of, I, I was, I was an athlete in high school, four sport athlete in high school, you know, very active. I went to college originally to wrestle, decided that wasn't what I wanted to do, got involved in other extracurriculars, but stayed fairly active in college, you know, through intramurals and, and other things. And then I had my first desk job in DC. I was um, working 40 plus hours a week, sitting at a desk, at mobile plus going to graduate school full time. And um, don't have to tell you, I was at an age where um, I probably, I didn't, I did not eat well at all. And, and more importantly, um, I probably imbibed a, a very healthy or unhealthy amount uh, in terms of um, my beer consumption was a lot more than it is today. Uh, let's put it that way. As part of it, and so very quickly, uh, actually not quickly, over the course of two years, um, started packing on weight, um, you know, and it wasn't a noticeable thing overnight. And it it took a health screening, a screening at a health fair, when I was working uh, in the U.S. Capitol, and uh, I think I was 24 years old, 23 years old, and um, the nurse saying, you know, you're at risk for diabetes, you have high cholesterol, you have, and it was kind of this eye-opening, like what? And, and, and oh, by the way, that's not what triggered me to get into running and get back in shape. But that was what triggered me to say, I got to start moving, you know, and, and joined, joined a local gym and started doing some stuff. But it really wasn't until um, Crystal and I uh, found out we were going to be parents. And we at the same time, and I mean, if you want motivation to be fit, I'm going to tell you the key to the success. If you don't have kids, decide you're going to have a kid and realize what time and energy that's going to take to do while you're working and then adopt a puppy at the same time and <laughs> adopt a high energy puppy at the same time. And, and I say that because um, we adopted a dog and I think, you know, um, still to this day, uh, probably one of the best, um, best friends I've ever had in, in uh, Ollie. And he was my long-term running buddy and he became my running buddy because we had this, newborn and this puppy in the house and between the two of them they were literally going to tear the walls off of our house if i didn't keep the puppy active and be able to keep up with this newborn um, that we had and so uh, it started a slow journey and, and my goal when i started was to run a single mile every day for a month and i look back on that now and people look at me now and go i bet you that was easy for you at that point in time in my life it was not 
That was a challenge and it was a huge challenge. And I did it. And by the way, I don't necessarily recommend you run every single day, but I did that just to establish that habit, right? Establish that habit of this. This is something uh, I need to do and I want to do. And it was also to make sure Ollie wasn't chewing off baseboards and table legs and in those types of things and, and allowed me to feel better and keep up with Mikhail. Um, and then when we added Kennedy and Layla, certainly in my true, true involvement in running, Mike became, I got injured like most runners do when they don't pay attention and they don't do it correctly. I got injured and ended up um, in a clinic and had my knee scoped. And, and I, as I told you, I was an athlete in high school and always had it in the back of my head. Someday I'd like to run a marathon and be done with that. Like just to say I did it. And the doc said, yeah, as long as you aren't an idiot like you were to end up here, um, you can do it. And um, got hooked and ran my first marathon in 2013. And that's really when you saw um, the weight come off. And it had everything to do with just, you know, I started to understand if I exercised better, I felt better. And that made me want to eat better. And if I ate better, I felt better exercising. And it kind of feeds into itself just like it does to go the other way. Those things can tend to feed on themselves themselves as well. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's, but that journey started in 2000 and, you know, 2006, you know, 17 years of a journey to get to uh, where I'm at today and, and, and do, do what I like to do and love to do now. And, and so um, for those of you who might be in that situation, think I can't ever do it or want to do it. I never thought I'd want to do an Ironman, more or less a marathon, um, and now Crystal would tell you, um, can somebody please talk him out of races? Cause he wants to sign up, um, all the time. So by the way, I signed up for my first race. I don't even know how long ago it was. I did Argo half marathon. I said, I'll do the half a goal thing. You know what that, mm-hmm. how that works, yep. right? Yep. Well, so you've got this, uh, passion for, public policy, advocacy, staying fit. And you decide to add to your schedule. You're the board president of the Bismarck Marathon, North Dakota's longest running marathon. And and that takes a lot of time. It does. And you have a great team to work with, by the way. I got to ask you a question. And I didn't even know this till I, I, you know, registered for the Fargo, and I thought, what Bismarck doing? And they have a pub crawl. Help me understand the the. Now, by the way, when I first started running and did my first marathon, Twin mm-hmm. said there were beer sponsors back then. Yep. There were, yep. There were, if you probably go back far enough, there might have even been cigarette manufacturers that sponsored everything, right? But there were there were beer manufacturers. There was beer and pizza at the finish line of the Twin Cities Marathon. But help the me tur- understand the pub crawl. Yeah, the turnaround point of the original televised um, world, uh, the Ironman World Championship race used to be a Bud Light can that you'd see, an inflatable Bud Light can that you'd see on the bike part of the course, biking out as part of it. it every time I read that uh, in different stories or different things, I always just laugh and go, the thought of having an inflatable Bud Light can as the turnaround part of a race now, uh, and nothing like I, you know, uh, find, uh, 
for those who are of age and, and able to do that. Uh, great. But it, 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 it was a different time and place. But, uh, the, you know, the thing about the Bismarck Marathon is we're, we're a runner's race, right? And we're a community-driven runner's race. And so our, our mission is to promote the health and wellness of the Bismarck Mandan community, encourage them to move more. And so we have races for everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody in terms of we have a little kids race. We've got medium distance races. We've got a 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, marathon relay. And then we realized there were folks that just running is not their thing. And you know this as a runner, Mike. I know this as a runner. Uh, just not everybody, not everybody can find joy in running. I don't know why they can't find joy in running, but they can't find joy in running as part of it. And we wanted them to feel like they could be a part of the the race in the community as well. And so there were there are really two options for those folks. One is to come volunteer with the race. And if you ever need inspiration, go volunteer at a race. If you're in Bismarck, come volunteer for the Bismarck Marathon. If you're not, find your local race or a local race and volunteer. If you want inspiration, my favorite people to watch at any race um, uh, aren't the ones finishing up front, although they're fun to watch too and, and super talented. Uh, I mean, we have talent in the state of North Dakota and in the Bismarck Mandan community beyond belief. Um, they're fun to watch, but it's the ones who are in the middle to the back of the pack who literally probably this was the biggest achievement they've ever had. And they probably had to overcome as many mental hurdles as they did physical hurdles to get through the race uh, and complete it. And sometimes it's those people who are finishing just a 5K. They never thought they'd be able to go 3.1 miles and finish that race as part of it. So go volunteer so they could volunteer or, you know, why wouldn't we involve the rest of the community? The race course as it currently stands, and we're working on hopefully making some amendments to it, you know, certainly goes through parts of Bismarck Mandan, but but certainly doesn't get to all the parts of the community. And we wanted to have folks um, that didn't, didn't want to, weren't able to, for whatever reason, uh, be a part of one of our races to have an experience. And so we set up a pub crawl and we involve local businesses and local community uh, establishments and allow folks to go around and visit these different different establishments. And if they make it through uh, to each of the establishments, they get a, a medal as well and do it. It's just a fun experience and it's a great way to cap off a, a race. I will tell you, uh, the pub crawl was added when I got added to the board. So I actually haven't actually made it to the pub crawl yet because by the time the pub crawl starts, I've been up for probably 26 hours uh, as part of it. But I know from board members who have been a part of it and whatnot that uh, it's an incredible experience. And so, yeah, it's a, it's another way for folks to understand the value of being engaged in the community and being a part of the community and feeling a part of something uh, as part of it. And so, um, and we appreciate uh, our local establishments that participate in it. We appreciate the sponsors uh, of that race and, and all of our races, because it, it, again, at my core, I have a belief in uh, public participation and community engagement. And, and that is another example. It doesn't always have to be government driven. In fact, sometimes it's better when it's not government driven. And if there are ways for nonprofits or private businesses to encourage public gathering, public dialogue, public input, and public participation. Uh, I think that's a generally in almost all instances uh, a, a positive impact on that community. I think the pub crawl is a great idea for pulling in more people into the spirit of the event. Right. But I do have a question. Yeah. Uh, are there enough porta potties to 
to provide for the route and the pub crawl because so many are already on the course for their race. We 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 thank the sponsors for allowing pub crawl for pub crawl participants to use their restrooms. How's oh, okay. that for an answer? So they, they that is the one thing I'll have to take back to the board. We meet again in a couple of weeks here and say, you know, in all honesty, we're not giving the pub crawl crawl participants a true race experience because um as you know at a local race uh an actual bathroom is uh, man you're a high flyer if you get a, an actual bathroom at a race a porta pot a clean porta potty is makes you feel like a, a king or a queen more or less a, an actual bathroom so we'll have to i think you're right we're gonna have to put porta potty stops on the race course this year for the pub crawl so Josh, how do you balance this? You and Crystal as a family and three kids that are really, really active. Uh, love your family, by the way. How, how do you balance as parents the scheduling for all the activities in the Ashbake household? Uh, 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 iPhone calendar, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, and I will tell you, it's the thing that makes Crystal and I's relationship really strong is uh, we're very good at, we're, we're both very good at, and you experiencing it now, us talking for about an hour here at over-communicating. I mean, um, we we make sure we use the tools um, that we use as a family to communicate. Our kids are reaching an age now where they're plugged into our family calendars so they can see it on their different devices of what's going on. But even every day, I mean, today's a perfect example. Um, I'm at work all day, Crystal's at work all day, the kids are at school all day. And then this evening, um, we've got, I think, three different places people need to be uh, all around the same time. And so I, I guarantee you in the next hour, because it's usually around the noon hour, there'll be text messages flying back and forth between Crystal and I about, OK, remember, remember, you're getting this one here. I'm getting this one there. Then we'll meet here, hopefully grab something to eat here, um, do it. And so, it, it, you know, thankfully, um, I have a, a strong uh, marriage and relationship and have a great support system in Crystal um, is part of it. And the other thing is, you know, I this this sounds ridiculous, but people ask me all the time, I'm training for an Ironman again in November. And an Ironman training schedule, when I get into the meat of it, probably in June, July, August, can be upwards of 20, 25 hours a week. I mean, just, just training. And that that's not including, by the way, you know, time to get ready for the training, you know, the training regimen of the day, showering, you know, that's just the actual training time itself can be 20 to 25 hours a week. And um, I haven't been great about it recently, but when I get into it, um, A, it takes discipline, but it's also, I schedule, we schedule it as this is the times when, and I put it on my personal schedule, you know, our family schedule. And then I oftentimes will put it on my work schedule as well. You know, hey, at noon this day, you know, and I'm taking my lunch break to fit in this weightlifting session that I need to do uh, as part of it. And and just the act of scheduling it and putting it on my schedule and seeing it on my schedule helps me in way, right? Me understand if I don't do it at that point in time, is not going to get done. And if it doesn't get done, I'm not going to have the end experience and meet the goal that I have set for myself um, that I want to do. And so, you know, I tell people that all the time, uh, but that's a tactic I learned from professionals, from those who do this professionally. You know, one of the, one of the most intriguing stories I ever heard, um, 
some of you may know who this person is, but a lot of your listeners won't. Ryan Hall, who is a longtime professional runner, uh, U.S. multi-time U.S. Olympian in the marathon. I was listening to a podcast he told once um, as part of it. He's since retired uh, from it. But he used to set um, business appointments on his calendar for his daily nap time for 30-minute naps during the day because that was the recovery time he needed to help his body recover from the training load and that those were non-negotiable. He put them on his calendar. Those were non-negotiable. That's when he was going to use that time um, as part of it. And, and that was an aha moment for me of, because there was, to be honest, when I started getting into this, didn't, you know, knew, don't understand it and understood, you know, and you're a morning runner. I know this. I generally am a morning runner, a morning workout person as well. And it has everything to do with I can get up, get done, get myself ready to go, and then be ready for the day to help with family responsibilities, work responsibilities, life responsibilities. Um, you know, and then if I need to fit things in later and am able to do that, do that. But it, and that that did not come overnight. That was discipline and practice and getting yourself into a habit and routinely. And then um, I told you about Ollie. You know, um, but it, it's also having an accountability partner. You know, some for some folks, it's having a, a running partner, a running friend. I know you, at least when you're in Bismarck, had a longtime running friend, you and Jim. Uh, I'd see you many mornings. We'd pass each other running different routes uh, in the morning as part of it for me at the at that point in time in my life to get established into it. I had a I had a four-legged running partner who I knew if he didn't get his exercise in for the day, we were all going to pay for it later. Uh, as part of it and knew that 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 needed to be done. And that was a part of of uh, being part of it. And so it, it's being um, consistent, being disciplined and, and you know, you got to schedule it out. And sometimes and I'm somebody who does not like to schedule things just because it it then you're committed. Right. Then you're in. You got to do it uh, as part of it. But it's also the only way I know I'll do it. Put it on yeah. the schedule and, and, and I know it'll get done. So. Josh, normally I ask uh, the magic wand question, and it's typically connected to someone's work or what have you. But I'm going to take a different approach with you because um, I've learned so much from you over the years, Josh. And it kind of, you know, is connected to that coffee or beer time you had with your friends some eight years ago about who should run. So the, here's the magic wand question. You're going to wave it over the heads. Um, those, those groups, because they're usually groups of people, they're usually pretty good at bitching and complaining about whatever it might be. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, being able to express yourself amongst friends and whatever is, is a good thing. But bitching and complaining really rarely does anything. It takes action. And that's what you did. So if you could wave a magic wand over the heads of folks that um, are on the outside complaining, they want something changed, what, what, what would you want them to know? about what they can do? Well, yeah, what a great question, Mike. And, um, and again, I think, um, I think you're, a, you're an example of this. I think, um, you know, um, 
I can be an example of this as part of it. The first thing is to remember uh, where we live. We live in what I consider the greatest country on the face of the earth uh, as part of it. And we're, we're a participatory republic or, or democ- and a democracy, right? And so the, the great thing is, as long as you're an upstanding citizen and good good standing and whatnot, you you get to participate in what your community, state, country looks like, right? And there's a lot of ways you can do that. But the first thing I always tell people is don't undervalue or forget how important the right and the ability to vote is. And that may seem really simple and really basic, but that basic building block is what builds the foundation of everything else that our country is built upon is that's your ability to say, this is what I think or who I think, depending upon if it's a ballot measure or, or a candidate, um, will be best for where I live, what I want to see, what I want for my family uh, as part of it. So it really starts with that simple act of voting. You know, you, you I know you did this. Um, Crystal and I still try and do this to this day, although with um, mail-in balloting, we're doing it at home now more that we we vote by mail quite a bit now just because of the ease of, of not having to schedule it, <laughs> and, uh, those things. But um, I have pictures from the first time I ran in every time I, I voted since I ran of in almost every instance when we've cast our ballots, our kids are with us showing them this is what it looks like. This is what it means. This is why we do this as part of it. So so that's the first part. The second part is to remember um, those who are in public office all the way up to the president of the United States, they're people first. They are human beings just like you and me um, as part of it. And and, um, they may have different talents or different expertise or different inputs um, at, at as part of it, but at the end, at the beginning of the day, to use an overused phrase, they put their pants on one leg at a time, or you know, they they wake up every morning and brush their teeth just like you and I do um, every single day as well. And so, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and it's anonymous, is I wondered why nobody, I, I wondered why someone didn't ever do anything about that, and then I remembered I'm someone. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of it. And so um, be engaged. And if running isn't your forte, that's fine. There's other ways to be engaged in the community building and community making and, and building process. You don't have to be a candidate. I understand that's not for everybody and not everyone likes that. But being a participant doesn't mean you have to be on the ballot, but it does mean you got to show up and, and be a part of the discussion and dialogue and, and do it. So I, I think those two things. And then the last thing I would tell people um, uh, as part of it is, um, don't forget and, and recognize the perspective and the value of the perspective you bring and don't ever, ever underestimate somebody else's perspective. You know, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made, including a couple of times on the city commission where, I, you know, I didn't recognize the value of a perspective that somebody was bringing to the table. And at the end of the day, we were worse off because I didn't in that instance. And you're always better off trying to make sure, you know, you may not agree, but instead of being disagreeable, seek to understand, seek to figure out what's driving that motivation or what's what's causing them to have that belief that that and Mike, you when you were mayor, I think you did a 
phenomenal job of this. When I was on the city commission, I always tried to get to this too. And I, I'm going to go back. I've told this story once already during our conversation again, but you know, when you were, I were on the commission and I think, you know, in a lot of instances, this is true around North Dakota. Um, there are different perspectives. Uh, some, some communities decide to just say, we're not going to agree and make a decision. And by the way, there are those times you're just not going to agree, you know, re- respect the position you have as part of it. We're not going to agree make the decision in our country for the most part, majority rules move on. Right. Um, but a lot of times there are ways, especially in the policymaking process to, to figure out, does it have to be exactly that way? Or are there ways we can try and make some accommodation to account for what that perspective is or why that, that view should be considered and provided validation and in, in input. And I think you and, former Mayor Warford were masterful at, I remember various conversations around the city commission table of, you could hear somebody was just wasn't 100% on board with what direction things were kind of moving in and taking that moment to stop and say, okay, what would it, what would it need to look like to make you more comfortable, right? In countless times where we tweaked something or made some minor adjustments to bring that in. And I think it created good public policy for the entire community versus just ramming something through because you know what, we have three votes. This is the way it's going to be and do it. And again, there are times that has to happen and we aren't going to be able to sing Kumbaya, but I think understanding somebody has a perspective that has value uh, is so, so important. Um, even if you disagree. And I mean, I, I think of countless fights. Yeah. I mean, you and I are sitting here talking for, 60 plus minutes now going on. And I can think of countless fights where you and I just vehemently disagreed on something. Uh, and it's so, so important today's day and age. You asked the question earlier about, you know, bitterness and politics and whatnot. Um, the thing I valued and the thing I always appreciated about you, Mike, uh, and I hope folks came to value about me is I may just, you and I are just not going to agree on that issue or on that point or on whatever it was. And you're going to vote one way and I'm going to vote another way. And after that, after the decision's been made, you and I look at each other and go, well, that was fun. What else are we going to tackle now? You know, what else are we going to do? And it, 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 the minute you let politics get personal uh, and and policymaking, I should say, get personal is the minute that, that I think it becomes a problem and it, and it, it shouldn't be about, it should be about what's the best policy. And that's what I, I valued and why I believe. And by the way, why I believe in local government, because there's less likely for personality politics and more likelihood of policy poli- uh, policy driven decisions, especially in North Dakota, where we have nonpartisan local offices um, as part of it. And so um, it's a long way of saying, you know, if, if people ask me today, you know, don't vote. If you do nothing else and you have the ability to vote, go vote. Don't forget to be involved in any way that you're comfortable being involved and show up. You know, I always tell people one of the keys to to being involved in policymaking is showing up. You have to be there. You have to be a part of the discussion. And it doesn't mean you got to be at the table, but you at least got to be in the room or in the arena where those discussions are happening. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. Just your presence there is enough. You know, how many times did we know something was really important, Mike, at a city commission meeting? Not because somebody walked in the room and said anything, but because they came in the room and sat physically in the room while we we're making a decision. <laughs> and not as an intimidation tactic, just them letting us know this is important to me and to us 
as an organization or whatever it is. And that's why we're here today uh, as part of it. And then last, um, just to sum it up, as you asked me, I think it's that understanding um, everybody's perspective has has value in in trying to to seek to understand, not to not to uh, be argumentative or or difficult. Mm. Great words of wisdom, and I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for taking time. I know you're awfully busy to, to join me. Uh, we have to get together soon over Dairy Queen. You can have a cauliflower, or broccoli, <laughs> colon, whatever it is. Uh, I'll find a cookie, Mike. I'm a cookie person. I like cookies. A, uh, I, I do too. And I love these little you know, startup operations that are all over the place and are baking great cookies. Oh, man. You, you now live in West Fargo. So that I know, and I know this isn't a West Fargo establishment, but maybe instead of um, Dairy Queen, we can go to Scoop and Dough in downtown Fargo um is part of it because then we can have the best of both worlds our kids and you can have ice cream and i can find a cookie uh and call it good so. we could do that or we could go to jen's bakery there we go okay that, oh man does she make great 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 cookies and i try to have some every week <laughs> hey, Josh, hey, thanks so much pre I, I love that pub crawl thing too and uh that uh, hey, but yeah. Mike, I, I so appreciate you and appreciate your show and, and what you do and try and help help folks tell stories. I think I think that's a really undervalued uh, part of what folks try to do as part of it. And I, I just thank you for taking the time to want to talk to me uh, as part of it. And you being a retired uh, local official now and myself, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder. Uh, I was just having this conversation with another friend the other day who who's in public office and thinking about not potentially running again. And, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of what my identity will be after that. And I said, you know, don't let yourself be tied to just because you have X office means you're such and such. I said, talent has a way of shining through and people have a way of, of being attracted to uh, talent and energy and, and people who are trying to bring positivity. And so uh, as long as you continue to be that person, it's not going to be a problem. And, and you certainly are and do that, Mike, with your podcast and you and Deb and um, you, you, uh, you know, you've talked about my public service, but you have a daughter now who's a, a, a dedicated public servant serving on the police force. And I know your service and Deb's service uh, in various fields. And now you're, you have the greatest job in the world. We haven't talked about this yet. Before we get out of here, I got to talk to this, talk about this for just a second. You have what I think and I hope to attain someday, which is the greatest title and job that can ever be bestowed upon anyone. And that's grandparent. Um, so first of all, congratulations. I know I've congratulated you, but uh, it's part of it. But explain to folks why it's the best job and title you can have in the world. Well, first of all, you your your child has made a decision to have a child and which have, by the way i'm just going to pause you for a second it means you didn't screw it up bad enough that they decided not to repeat what you that, that's one way to look at it yeah yeah, yeah. So, and when, and first of all she she met in this case it's our daughter she met this great great guy that uh you know anybody that has a book on their shelf on how to be a gentleman you know this is a quality guy, right? Yeah. And then this little River James, who is just absolutely the most gorgeous little fella. Uh, they steal your heart. And unlike being the parent, you don't have to be responsible for 
everything in their life. You can, you can come in there and boil them rotten and hug them. If you have to change a diaper, that's good, but you don't have to do it 24-7. Um, but more important, they're a gift. And there, there's no gift quite like that. You, you already have the gift in bringing kids into the world. And this is just kind of a different level, Josh. And thanks, thanks for asking about our daughter in River James. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you shared, Mike, because my mom, my mom told me, you know, if I knew being a grandparent was this great, I would have skipped you. And I just, <laughs> okay, I'm not sure that's how it works uh, as part of it. So, uh, but uh, I, I know she said it with love, and I know uh, you probably have some similar sentiments. So, uh, Mike, thank, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. Hey, God bless you. Take care, Josh. Bye. Hey, Mike.